This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Jesus is present in this room. I mean, that song that we sang, when, when he comes in, he hears, uh, we hear worship and he hears faith, right? He's hearing our prayers. He's with us. So whatever area you're in, right? Uh, homeschool mom, right? Accountant, retired, wherever vehicle or wherever area God is using you that's been causing you stress and difficulty, I want you to know that Jesus is with you and he's wanting to use you right where you are. Right in your place, where only God has you to be a witness for him, to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And what a, what a blessing to be part of what God is doing, to serve this community, to serve this city. We're all a part of that. In different ways, God is equipping and empowering us. And so as we study Romans, that's what I want to focus on, is what is the mission? You see, Paul uh, is, you know, some, pe- some people look at Romans and go, oh, it's a theological treatise. And I think that that's probably true. Much, much smarter people than me have said that. But I also see that Paul is writing this letter to a church, to a group of people that he's never been to see, that he wants to join, he wants to go to. It's a missional book. It's a book about the spread of the gospel because see, once the gospel gets to Rome, then where is it going to go? Everywhere. And so I think when Paul is writing Romans, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to give it to us, he's wanting to say, look, not only is this theology that you can understand who God is and who you are, but it's also part of our sense of calling as people today to be on mission for Jesus. Because what better time than now to have a person who loves Jesus walk into the room, walk into the operating room, walk into the boardroom or the classroom or the homeroom, or the bedroom, to walk in and to say, let me bring Jesus into this community. What a blessing. And that's our task. And that's why we're here is to worship him and to be equipped for that. So that's what we're going to do uh, this school year as we study Romans, and hopefully every single Sunday until Jesus returns in this space. Let me read to you from um, the Gospel of Romans. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Dear Lord, we thank you for this sentence, this one sentence that begins this this letter that you've given to us to remind us of who you are and the purpose for which we've been called. As we begin to explore this wonderful, glorious letter that was written so long ago that's transformed the world, give us eyes to see and ears to hear 
But also, Lord, allow us to, to listen for what it is you want us to do in response to the good news of the gospel. What's the one thing that we can do in response so that we can walk in obedience to your word? Help us to hear that and to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I served in the church in Florida, there was a couple that really invested a lot into Brandy and I, uh, Bob and Chris, and they loved to open their home. They had Matthew parties. And any party with my name on, I like to have that kind of party. A Matthew party, remember Matthew was a tax collector, and he invited all of his friends to come over and meet Jesus. And so they would invite all of their neighborhood and, all, and some friends of theirs from church, and they would invite them all to mingle together and to spend time together. And so they encouraged us a lot. Uh, they loved to have uh, you know, these, these great parties with awesome food. And as I got to know them, one of the things that I, I found fascinating about their relationship was that when they first met, they were apart after meeting, and they began to sense that, hey, I think, you know, I really am interested in this other person, but they were, they were physically distanced before physical distancing was this thing. It was more than six feet. And so they began to write letters to one another. Now, this isn't like 1920s letters, right? This is probably in the 80s uh, or the 90s where they were writing these letters. Now, I mean, when was the last time you sat down and wrote a letter that was more than just a simple note? It, it, for me, it's been a while. Because our communication is via text, it's, uh, it's maybe over the phone, maybe Zoom, those things. And those things are wonderful, but we don't have really a record of those that really makes sense, right? You can look back at your text thread, but you don't want to read that because there's all kinds of stuff like, you know, get some milk involved in there or go drop by and pick up the kids. But when you sit down and write a letter, you're being intentional. Because you're not thinking necessarily that that letter is going to be there forever, but you're thinking, this is an important idea that I want to communicate. And so when you write a letter to someone that you're interested in, that you think has you know, potential, you're also communicating to them what you think about them, how you feel about them. You're also being open and vulnerable, and you're talking about, here are the things that I'm struggling with. You're sharing not only love in a romantic way, but you're sharing the truth of who you are and the, and the, the struggle of your life. You're, you're sharing truth with them. Right? And so, in fact, they had a whole packet, a bundle, of all the letters that had been written. And that's a, beautiful, that's a beautiful love story. Well, I think we have a love letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Rome that has been inspired by God, that has been given to us, that we can now read. Now, it's not a, a romantic kind of love in the same way that Bob was writing to Chris. But it's a letter that communicates the kind of love that Paul has for his friends who are believers in that city. He's sharing with them his heart. He's communicating to them how much God loves them. He's teaching them about the glory and the wonder and the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But he's also, and this is what true love is, true love isn't just the warm, uh, you know, soft, mushy, sweetie pie things that we say, I love you so much, it's also sharing the truth of the reality of who I really am. These are the struggles that I face, right? And Paul shares with them in a powerful way. We'll see in Romans 3 the, the, the reality of where we are as sinful people before a holy God. And it's a very loving thing for Paul to do, even in the latter part of Romans chapter 1, where he, he lays out how people are under the judgment of God. That's essentially a loving thing to do is because you're telling people, here's the truth and the reality of who we are as God's people, as all of people, 
we stand before God. So Paul is wanting to share with them his love for them in a letter. And so my hope again for you as we go through this, this whole school year, that you'll not only learn something, but you'll also do something. I heard a wise teacher say, learn one thing, do one thing. What's the one thing that God is calling you to do in light of what uh, he's teaching? So we've got these sermon points here. They all begin with the letter P, providentially. How about that? Five Ps to start us off in a school year. And the first one is the person. Who is the person that's writing this letter and to whom is he writing the letter? So we'll see in the first uh, verse. Oh, and by the way, here's a challenge for you. If you want to take on the Romans challenge uh, this week, read chapter 1 every day this week. Just sit down with it and immerse yourself in Romans this school year. We're going to come out of this knowing more and hopefully obeying more of uh, Romans. So take that challenge. Try to read it every day. The first verse says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So we're learning here two things, a lot of things actually, but one of the things that Paul tells us is that he's a servant of God. The word is doulos. It's a slave. Paul, who was a, a Pharisee, he was a teacher of God's law. Right? We remember his story in Acts chapter 9. Paul was persecuting uh, the faith, the faithful. He was going after the church, but God revealed to him in a powerful way on the on, uh, that, that who he was persecuting. And so Paul was transformed and uh, became a follower of Jesus Christ. He was finding his, before he was finding his righteousness in his works, and then he realized who Jesus was. And so he then becomes a slave of Christ, which is a powerful thing to say. Because, you know, Paul got his identity from the accomplishments that he had. He was a scholar. He was brilliant. He was wonderful at rhetoric, Right? He had all these accomplishments. He had been trained in the right schools and everything. And now he's saying, I'm a slave of Jesus. Quite a posture of humility that we see from the very beginning. But then we also recognize that Paul says, I'm an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent. An apostle is a person who goes out and proclaims, preaches, teaches, leads, moves out to bring the gospel to places where it had never been before. And in part, that is part of the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. That was, in some ways, the outermost edge, the most significant and glorious city of that day. It was Rome. Everyone was under the thumb of Rome, and this was the epicenter. That was the cultural, financial, uh, religious center for all of the people of that day. And Paul knows that when the gospel takes root in that city, it will transform that city, and it will transform the world. Now, I don't want to say let's try to get Rome back to the way it was before, but we recognize that Rome has been a religious and civic and religious uh, cultural center for thousands of years, in part because Paul said, I want to go to Rome and I want to write this letter to Rome. But what's fascinating is, for a long time, the church identified Rome as Babylon. Babylon is depicted in the, in the book of Revelations as this sinful city of debauchery, of wickedness, of evil. It was the, um, I won't use the word, but the, the woman of the night, <laughs> of, the, of the day, because of Babylon in the city giving into its lust. And yet here, Paul says, as an apostle, I'm sending the gospel into this community so that, the, so that followers of Jesus can flourish in the midst of the worst culture that there was. 
And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I look about around our culture and I just go, man, <laughs> it's really getting tough. You know, we, we loved our time in Washington and in Oregon and in California, but they think about things in a different way out there. And we talked with some of our friends who were trying to navigate school and education with their kids, and there's many a different worldview that is being presented. And how do you follow Jesus and love him in a situation where the culture is different? And you know, we might say, well, we live in Memphis, we're in the South, and we're in the Bible, but how many people do you know that, that say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't follow Jesus in any way. I'm not gathered as the people of God. I'm not studying my Bible. It's just a, it's just a culture for me. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we're realizing that we do live in a similar culture. We've got, uh, we've got this religious culture that exists but doesn't really follow Jesus, and we've got this non-religious culture that exists. And where are we? We're called to be where we are in this moment, following Jesus, you and I together as a community, and not trying to stand against that culture, even though that's what we're called to do sometimes, but it's to embed ourselves within the culture and bring the good news of the gospel to see it transformed by the power of the gospel. And let me tell you, if you think it's bad here, it was way worse in Rome. So we've been given a great challenge, but we have a great Savior, and we have the Holy Spirit, and we have each other. And so our posture ought to be to lovingly serve, to lay our lives down for the world so that they would see Jesus. That's all packed right into those first, first uh, two lines, huh? Pretty awesome. And he says, what did he say? Paul, set apart for the gospel of God. What is the gospel? I use the word the gospel all the time, but it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the announcement about what God has already done. It's not a set of rules. It's not a religious structure. It's an announcement about what God has done. When we, when we preach the gospel, we're proclaiming, here's who God is. Here's what he has done. Our lives are a response to what he's done. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our righteousness. We're going to get into that in depth as we go along. But it's only what God has done. And we're announcing it. We're proclaiming it. And we're rejoicing in it. And we're celebrating it because Jesus has come. He's lived. He's died. He's rose again. And he's claimed us to be his own. And because of that, then we are going to proclaim it. So that's the person. Here we look at verse 2 is the promise. The promise. It says, he promised, again, and this is one sentence here, so it's hard to kind of parse out. We're looking at one sentence this morning. He, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, I love this idea because what it says is, is that this good news is not new. The good news is not new. And you may remember from a few years ago, we did a sermon series called Ancient Grace, where we were going back mainly in Genesis and looking at how the gospel announcement, the proclamation of the good news was embedded deeply all the way back in the Old Testament. Sometimes we think of the, the Bible as, well, there's the Old Testament, that's the law, and the New Testament, that's the gospel. But no, the gospel is always present in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament. You see, God has announced, here's who I am, here's what I've done. So, for example, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we think, oh, well, that's a list of rules that I'm supposed to keep. Well, we know what's the preamble to the Ten Commandments. I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. Number one, have no other gods before me. 
What God says first before he gives us the commands are, here's who I am and here's what I've done. I've rescued you and redeemed you from slavery. Now live for me. That's the gospel. That's God saying, here's who I am. This is my character. This is what I'm like. This is how much I love you. Now live faithfully unto me. You see, the Ten Commandments actually reveal to us how far we fall short of the glory of God. They drive us to Jesus. And that's what the gospel is. And this promise is beforehand, he says. Look at verse 2. Concerning his, sorry, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And this is just kind of teasing out for us a little bit of how much Paul uses the Old Testament throughout this whole book to make his case to the church in Rome, to the people in Rome, and to the people throughout history. Paul is going to be using the Old Testament over and over again to, to tell us the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. He, this is a promise that God is fulfilling. It's an amazing thing. You see, God has promised to us that a Savior would come. He would redeem us. All those things in the Old Testament point forward to what Jesus is going to do, is to become a Savior, uh, to redeem and to reconcile and to restore God's people to himself. And he fulfills his promises. And you know, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people making promises. There have been people that have said things that, that just don't turn out to be true, and we can have a sense of um, cynicism, a sense of disappointment. We see this in politics. We see this in the, in the academy. We, we see this in the church. People make promises that can't be fulfilled. And so then our, the tendency for us is to, be, to become embittered, to become hurt, to pull back. Say, ah, oh, the church, I don't want to be involved with that. But you know what? Jesus is calling us to, to remember that God is always faithful to his promises. He's never abandoned us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. Even if the culture changes, even if we face difficulty, even if you have personal hardship and loss, God is faithful to his promises and he often uses those hard things that are going on in your life right now to draw you to himself and to remind you that he loves you and he's called you by grace. God is faithful to his promises. So no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what difficulty it is, remember, remember this. If, if this is your one thing, Matt said, remember that God is faithful to his promises. That's good news. We could go home right now, but we're not, sorry. He's faithful to his promises, you remember that. Verse four then. Um, oh, I just wanted to kind of, I got this illustration. I was thinking about this idea of promise and return and, and hope. There was a show I watched. I usually watch like two or three episodes of a show on TV and then I get tired of it. But there was like two or three episodes of the show called The Last Kingdom. And it was uh, set about a, a thousand years ago uh, in what is now England. And uh, there was a battle uh, with, a, with, a, with a king. These pagan invaders uh, came in and, and took out this kingdom. And the, the sun was outside the kingdom when the invaders came and ransacked the whole community. And so the king, uh, the son's father, was, was defeated and, and died. And his despicable uh, brother took over the kingdom and, and took him in power. And then later on, the son was kidnapped by these pagan uh, marauders. But at one point in the, in the show, this son comes back to take his rightful place and to redeem and to free the people that were rightfully his. And of course, the storyline is all this battle and conflict going back and forth, but we just, it's just a picture of the world that we live in. And we know that the son has come back to redeem and to restore. That doesn't mean that the battles aren't over. 
That doesn't mean there's not more difficulty that we'll face, but we know that Jesus is victorious because he's the rightful owner, the ruler of that kingdom. And so we continue to fight for him. We continue to fight with him because he has promised to fulfill it. And how do we fulfill that promise? How are we part of that? Well, we look at verse 4. The power is given to us and was declared to be the Son of God, Jesus, in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The power of God's salvation for us that Paul says later is the Jew first and then the Gentile is fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. Because he conquered sin and death. Jesus died, rose, lives. And when he lives in you, then you have that same power. And this is not, hey, go out and live your best life now. The power you have is the power of the gospel. To forgive. To love. To serve. To turn away from material possessions and to, and to give your resources. To, to acknowledge that there's been hurt and conflict and yet then also forgive. Because the same power that exists within Jesus exists in you. And, you know, I don't want to get into politics and all, but we just go like, we were there in Afghanistan for 20 years. Obviously, there's not a military solution. There's not a military solution to these things. But what does change, what does bring about the redemption of people and the transformation of culture? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read an article in Christianity Today a few years ago that said if you want to look at nations that have democracies, the single best determiner of a nation to have a democracy is that 50 years before there were evangelical Christians going in to share the gospel. That the gospel transforms people. The gospel, if it can transform a nation, it can certainly transform me and you. That's the power that we have is to repent and to believe and to confess and to say, yes, Lord, you've, you've done this for me, so now let me do it in turn for someone else. That's the power that we've been given. And verse 5 then goes on to say, what is the purpose for which we've been given this? That Paul, uh, God using Paul, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Why has Paul given this to us? Why has God given us uh, the power and all these things, why? It's, there's a purpose in it. It's to reach the nations. And we see Paul's missionary heart as he is writing this letter to his beloved community and his longing to go and to be with them because he sees Rome as a strategic place for ministry and for hope, not only to renew that culture, but as the gospel would go out from every place, the uttermost ends of the earth. You see, the more we reflect on what God has done for us, the more we have a story to tell. And maybe some of us will actually go to another country or go uh, to another part of, the, uh, of our country and tell that story. But for many of us, it's just to go across the street. You know, we shouldn't be trying to reach, uh, you know, Sheboygan or Zimbabwe if we don't know our na- next-door neighbor's name. Do you know your next-door neighbor's name? We need to go, I know, Emily, you, you know all your neighbors, you got the circle going. <laughs> We've heard that all before, you know. It's awesome, though, right? They got a whole group of people during the pandemic, and we just gather outside. And you get to know people's names, right? Like, do you know your name of your next-door neighbor? Like, hey, 
here's the one thing, right? Go find out what it is and say, I know we've been living next to each other for five years and I'm sorry, but I forgot. I want to just say, hey, how's it going? You know, you need to get that grass cut. No, don't leave that part out. Do you know your next door neighbor's name, right? Because our purpose is to live for Jesus and to love our neighbor. And sometimes if everybody's our neighbor, then it's easy to say, well, no one's my neighbor, right? If, it, if it's everybody's job, it's nobody's job. But it's your job to know your neighbor. Because I don't even know where you live. I don't know where some of you live. But God's put you there. So find out their name first. And start with that. And say, hey, is there, is there some way that I can serve you? And look, I, you know, I have neighbors. We have neighborhood conflict in our community. <laughs> and so we've got to work through that. And how am I being a loving neighbor? But our purpose is to bring about obedience through faith. Right? And how do we do that? We live our faith out in a way that is loving, is inviting, it's winsome, and it usually does not include this. <laughs> Finger pointing. Hey, it's how can I serve? What can I do? World relief, it's a great example. How can we become good neighbors? The Bible says welcome the stranger. What a great opportunity for us uh, to welcome people and to love them in Jesus' name. People who are vulnerable, people who have been through a lot, Hey, how can we serve you? How can we bless you? Uh, that's our, our call and our, our ministry. That's the purpose. I mean, that's what Paul saw. I mean, he says that this is an amazing city. We live in an amazing city. You live, or you live in a suburb of an amazing city. Memphis is a hub, right, in lots of different ways. So how we reach this city and love this, this people and address the issues makes all the difference in the world. And that's what we're called to do together. And finally, the last part of this message is this Verse 6 and 7 is um, what I'm calling the presence. He says, um, For the sake of all, among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that, that, that verse right there. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that is. Think about this, right? You're called to belong. Jesus came and lived his life so that you would belong. You would be connected, not only to the God of the universe who makes you righteous and who, who loves you, who sets you free from sin and death, not only to do that, but also to belong to a family, to belong to a community of people that are seeking to love and serve him. You belong. You're not on your own. You're not the only person because why? You have the presence of God in your life and you have the presence of other people who are wanting to encourage you to walk by faith. You belong. You're, and he called you. That word is uh, kletos. So if you ever meet a guy named Cletus, his name is called. I really wanted to name Levi or Silas Cletus, but Brandy said no. I'm like, it means called, babe. That was back in the days when I was taking Greek, so I'm probably glad we got Levi and Silas instead. But if you meet someone named Cletus, it's called, like drawn in, brought into the family. In the sense, our, all of us, our name is Cletus, right? Because we've all been called by grace into this family into this community. What a blessing that is. And we receive then the presence of God. Look in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called, again, to be saints. 
Look, we, we know and we're going to see Paul is going to be brutally honest with us, especially later chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, about the brutality and the reality of our sinfulness of all humanity. He's going to get there. But he starts out his letter saying, you are called by God and loved by God. You are saints. You're a saint if you're in Christ. Yes, you're a sinner, but you are a saint. And he begins the letter, this love letter, communicating to his people, this is how much I love you. This is how much God loves you. You've been given the presence of God. And here's what's wonderful. I mean, you think about the guy that is writing this letter, the Apostle Paul. Here's what I want to say to you. You can't be good enough ever to get it because Paul had done all the right things. He studied in the right schools. He lived a righteous life. He was outwardly, outwardly um, strict in his observance of the law. He never disobeyed the law outwardly. But he was not holy enough to be in relationship with God. In fact, that pursuit of outward holiness just made him an angry person, so angry that he was willing to kill Jesus' followers or to look on while it happened and approve of it, it says. So if we're feeling angry about what other people are doing, if I'm feeling angry about what other people are doing, it's possible that I'm having a judgmental spirit. And instead of acknowledging, wow, I'm really bad too, I'm not saying there's not a place for righteous anger when someone's experiencing injustice or abuse. I'm saying if I'm just irritated with people or I don't like them, and it's possible that I'm like Paul. Well, Paul couldn't do enough to be right with God. And yet, Paul couldn't do anything wrong to lose his relationship with God. Because you see, Jesus freely gives us faith. We're called, not because of any righteous thing that we have done, but because of his mercy. So there was nothing that Paul could ever do, and there's nothing that you can ever do if you're in Christ to lose your salvation because it's what Jesus has done. And so if you've done something wrong or are doing something wrong or are struggling with bitterness or hurt or anger or addiction or whatever it is, Jesus has not left you. Jesus will not leave you in that, but he will never leave you. And that's the good news, right? We, we, we can't earn it, but we can't lose it because it's all about who? It's all about what Jesus has done. And when we come together for worship, or better yet, when we go out and serve in Jesus' name, we're acutely aware of the presence of God who is with us. We're aware because we see him at work. We see him when we are willing to, to say, let me tell you about what God's doing in my life. Or, hey, can I pray for you? And if so, what do you need me to pray for you? And can I follow up with you in a couple of days to see how God answered that prayer because I'm believing he's going to do something? Those kinds of statements, that kind of action to love and to serve, we have to do it by faith. And we see God's presence working with us when we do it. So what an amazing journey we're about to take. We're not living in Babylon. We're not living in Rome. We're living in Memphis. But we have a wonderful opportunity to trust God, to walk by faith, to experience his power, to experience his people, and to experience his presence as we not only gather, but as we go out into the world to love and serve him. So what's the one thing that God is telling you? What's the one thing that you can do this week that when you come back next Sunday and you're sitting in the chair, you can say, this is what God told me to do, and by faith I attempted it, and I saw him work. What's the one thing? You can't, we're not going to be able to do everything. Just do the one thing as a response to what God 
has done. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.